I understand it's early, and I get it. You know, we don't even know if the season's going to happen right now. But, man, you know what? When you get win totals from Las Vegas for the college football season, why not have some fun with it? Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Great to have you here and uh, being a part of the show and hope you're continuing, continuing to stay safe. And before we get it going, guys, please take a moment out, leave us that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We'll send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie if you do that. So please do take a moment out, uh, send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we'll get the koozie in the mail for you guys. Appreciate it. So Vegas released its 2020 Big 12 football win totals for this season, assuming we do get to a season, and my goodness, I am so hopeful, so hopeful that we will. And you know what? It's the middle of April. We have no idea what things are going to look like in August or September, but let's have some fun with it, and let's pretend for a second here like we've got some normalcy, and let's talk about these win totals. I'm going to run them down, and then I'll give you my initial thoughts on each one. Baylor win total, 7.5. Iowa State, 7.5. Kansas, three and a half. K-State, six and a half. Oklahoma, nine and a half. Oklahoma State, eight and a half. Texas, eight and a half. TCU, six and a half. Texas Tech, five and a half. West Virginia, five and a half. Uh, first off, my initial thought when I saw this was, you know what? Eight of the 10 teams in the conference are between five and a half and eight and a half for win totals. The only ones outside of that five and a half to eight and a half win total is OU at nine and a half and KU at three and a half. And that means that the Big 12 is once again projected to be a very tight and a very competitive conference in 2020 if we do get there. And that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. As we go team by team, you know, Baylor at seven and a half seems appropriate. And, and Baylor's the team that I think could be hurt the most by not having any spring and who knows about fall camp. I mean, we don't know what the heck college football, what the heck the world is going to look like in, you know, three, four, five, six months. We, we just don't know, right? So for Baylor and for Dave Aranda, new head coach, new system, coming off of Matt Rule, you know, losing some key players, seven and a half feels initially low to me. But it probably is appropriate based on where this team is right now. My gut would say take the over here sitting in the middle of April. Uh, I will say that, you know what, I have the right to adjust that if we're sitting here in the middle of August and we're actually able to talk about having a college football season. But my hunch would be to still go to the over because there's so much talent, so much talent that's returning on this Baylor team led by a senior quarterback in Charlie Brewer who's been through the wars. I mean, that's exactly what you'd want. Iowa State, seven and a half. Uh, I got burnt on this one last year when I took the over on Iowa State. I thought they'd be playing in the Big 12 title game, and some of you remind me of that every single day, and I'm okay. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Uh, but still, I mean, this team does have a lot of key pieces coming back, and it's something that I'm looking at, and, and if you're an Iowa State fan, you should be looking at and saying to yourself, okay, we've got Brock Purdy. This is the year, by the way. Uh, this is where we have to look at this and say to ourselves, what is the 2020 season going to be? Is it going to be the season of close losses like 2019? Or is uh, Brock Purdy going to become the stud Big 12 conference quarterback that a lot of us uh, know he can be? Brees Hall at running back, the tight end dynamic duo of Kohler and Allen, and, you know, a very good defense. 
Can they be that team that gets over the hump, that doesn't lose the close games this year? You know, that's that's the question for Iowa State, and I would lean yes on that. KU at three and a half is a very interesting number because for KU, for a team like Kansas, it's all about what your non-conference looks like, right? It's all about where's the non-conference at. And for Kansas, it's New Hampshire, it's Boston College, and it's Coastal. They should be able to win two of three. I mean, they beat BC last year, so maybe you say three of three. Let's say two of three. Can they win two conference games? I don't know how you think they can. I mean, I, I just I don't know how you think they can. So it feels like an under as of right now for KU. Uh, for K-State, six and a half. Don't forget this about uh, K-State. Last year, they exceeded expectations, right? And we talked to Tim Fitzgerald about this on the show a couple of weeks back. They exceed expectations last year, so people are expecting the encore. Well, you beat OU, uh, which, you know, maybe nine out of ten times you would not have last season. You got the whole offensive line you got to replace. Yes, you've got your senior quarterback in Skylar Thompson, but, man, there's still work to be done there. So I would initially take the under. OU at nine and a half. Uh, when you look at OU, first time they got to work in a quarterback from the high school level in Spencer Rattler. The non-conference is Missouri State, Tennessee, Army. I know Army gave him troubles a couple of years back, but that's the non-conference right now with a you know new out of high school quarterback or at least you know redshirt freshman quarterback most likely in Spencer Rattler. I still would lean the over. I mean, you know, give them two losses, they still hit the over. Boom. Oklahoma State at eight and a half. That's low. Oklahoma State is going to blow through its non-conference. Oregon State, Tulsa, Western Illinois. They're going to be three and zero. That means to take the under, you would think and you would say that Oklahoma State's going to go five and four in the Big Twelve with most of the defense coming back, ten of eleven on defense coming back, and you know most of the studs on offense. No way. And that's the easiest one on the board as far as I'm looking at it. Texas, eight and a half. Uh, don't forget, Texas has to play LSU this year in the non-conference. I mean, that is, uh, that is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. So if that's a loss against the defending champs, then you got to believe to hit the nine wins on the over. If you give them one loss there, they can only suffer two more in, in Big 12 play. How do you justify that, right? How do you justify that? I would lean the under on Texas. TCU sitting there at six and a half. Can TCU get to seven and five? Jerry Kill taking over the offense. Defense going to be good. I, TCU feels like it should have that seven and five, eight and four season. So I would lean to the over. And then you've got Texas Tech and West Virginia. Each sitting there at five and a half, which is interesting, by the way, because of all the uh, year two head coaches, clearly Vegas is not buying into any huge jumps for Kansas, Texas Tech, or West Virginia. I mean, that's very clear based on where things stand right now. Texas Tech and West Virginia both sitting there at five and a half. We'll start with Texas Tech. And here's the thing for the Red Raiders. I, I thought they might have a quarterback battle uh, this spring. Obviously, we don't know what that's going to look like. They've got Arizona again this year. This time it's at home with UTEP and Alabama State. Should be two and one at the absolute worst. At the absolute worst, this team should be two and one. Coming into, non, uh, coming into conference play. And then you would say, okay, can they get themselves four conference wins? They also lost a lot of close games last year. A lot of close games were lost last year uh, by uh, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. So does that seem unreasonable to me to think that Texas Tech can go out there and pick up a couple of those close wins? I don't see why not, especially with a team that was pretty banged up last year. And then you've got West Virginia. 
the Mountaineers, who have a very difficult, very difficult non-conference once again, Florida State and Maryland, two power fives, uh, one of the few power fives playing two power fives in the non-conference play, along with Eastern Kentucky. So I think it's reasonable to put that number at five and a half because then if they split those two games, and that's a big if, beat Eastern Kentucky, they're two and one, they'd have to win four conference games. Can they do it? Yes. Am I confident? No. I would still lean, though, lean to the over five and a half. All right, that's where I would lean. But all these numbers, obviously, in flux. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly. Coming up, let's talk to our guy, Derek Duke. A lot to dive into. He's next on the show. Well, we're all trying to figure out uh, what it is. Three, two, and one. Well, we're all trying to figure out what's next for the college football world. And we now welcome in and say hello to Derek Duke. You read him all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports Weekly is the show. Uh, Derek, before we get some general offseason topics, last week I talked about this on the show, and you actually brought it to our attention. We did a roundtable where we made the Dream Big 12 Conference. And I kicked some teams out. I brought some teams back in. What does your dream Big 12 football conference look like? Well, you guys know I'm a Big 12 guy through and through. Been covering the conference for a few years now. So, for me, I've kind of fallen, I guess you can kind of say in love a little bit with some of these teams and where they're at and the current model we've had since 2012. Uh, it's just so, you're so used to it by now, all the teams. You know, obviously, geographically, things could change. Things could be definitely a little bit better with West Virginia way out there. Uh, so for mine, I actually decided to keep all 10 current teams on board and just add two more. Uh, and it was actually two familiar faces from the conference pre-2012. So I went ahead and I added Nebraska and Missouri. And obviously, Nebraska's had a long, rich tradition in the Big 12 um, back when, even when it was the Big 8. They were always a staple when the conference had a huge rivalry with Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Missouri, obviously, Kansas, all these teams that just fits in geographically. So Nebraska, obviously, they're not what they were, let's say, 20, even 15 years ago. Uh, but I still think they could be a great staple of the conference. And I think you've mentioned before, if you ask any Nebraska fan if they'd rather be in the Big Ten or the Big 12, I think they would definitely say the Big 12. Obviously, they like the money in the Big Ten, but they just fit better in the Big 12. Well, Derek, you'd have, to, that- you'd have to get them drunk first to admit that. <laughs> yeah, well, during these times, that's perfect for it, the, the times we're going through. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, arguing and debating over it and definitely some thoughts thinking back on. But I think they're a great fit. I, I still think what they're going to do, you know, obviously they're not what they were. Again, I'll keep saying that. They're not what they were, but I think mm-hmm. if they came back to the Big 12, I think a lot of that passion and energy would come back. I think the same could be said for Missouri. Obviously, Missouri was kind of weird. So when they left, they actually made two SEC title games in a row. So it looks like things were going great. Uh, They were going to be a perfect fit in the SEC. But since, you know, the last six or seven years, things have kind of just fallen off the map for them, much like Nebraska. I mean, the wheels haven't completely fallen off the thing, but it just feels like right now they're just kind of stuck in la-la land in the SEC, and they play in the East, even though they're – geographically they're in the west but they play in the east so even from that point it doesn't make sense so i I think missouri would love to come back if given the opportunity obviously much like uh nebraska and the big 10 they love the money that they're currently getting from the sec 
But again, I think geographically, location, everything like that, they just fit better in the Big 12. And let's be honest, it just Missouri always felt like a Big 12 school. I don't, I don't think you could really argue that. Oh, I mean, the border war, uh, you're right, KU, K-State, Big 12 North, classic school there. And now, I mean, even Mizzou fans, who's getting jacked up to have to drive 15 hours to go watch them play Florida or go watch them play? I mean, listen, it's great to play the Georgia's Alabamas of the world, but especially when you're playing against, like, the SEC West, as Missouri does, what, only, what, once or twice a year, uh, for every Alabama game, you got to play uh, Mississippi State. So I just, I, I, Mizzou fans, same thing. I bet you they would say, Derek, oh, we love the SEC, the mighty SEC, but uh, put a few drinks in them, they'll tell you otherwise. Oh, for sure, no doubt about it. They just, it just doesn't seem like a right fit, you know. You're playing South Carolina. You're playing Florida. You're playing all these different teams in Georgia. It, it just does to me. It just doesn't nope. make sense whatsoever. But Not you whatsoever. Know, they, you know, they took their money and they they did what they felt like was the right decision eight years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Derek, I did something a little more controversial. I I took out Baylor and TCU, and not because I don't love them. I love Baylor fans. Waco's awesome. TCU fans are some of our favorites. But I'm just saying because they're, they're private schools, they don't have the eyeballs, naturally, that the public schools do. And this is coming from somebody and myself who went to a private school, so I'm not being biased here. And I added Iowa and I added Texas A&M. Why, uh, why do you not like my idea? Actually, I don't. I would not have a problem with Iowa. Uh, I think from that standpoint, the the good thing about that is, unlike Missouri and some of these other teams that left from the from the Big Big Twelve to other conferences, Iowa still plays Iowa State every single year. They make that game happen. I guess if Missouri and Kansas played every year, I wouldn't have so much of a problem with it. But the fact that these different schedules and it's much like the Texas A and M and Texas thing, you know. Once the two schools left, you know, once they went their separate ways, they never came back together just to play that one game. So I think I think Iowa would be a definitely an interesting fit. As far as Texas A&M, I, I think everybody mostly knows how I feel about A&M, and I think a lot of people inside the Big 12 have a certain way they feel about A&M because they're, they're the ones that kind of left. They took the money. They ran. They did what they had to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I can't see many people getting along with the A&M higher-ups at this point, I think the damage has been done. Uh, if that ever will come back, if A&M's willing to play Texas again or willing to play another school in the Big 12 outside of a bowl game, I have a hard time seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. Derek Duke's our guest. You read him all the time at heartlandcollegesports.com. Okay, Derek, uh, looking at the draft this weekend, there's no Kyler Murray, there's no Baker Mayfield in the Big 12, so uh, the Big 12 does not have as much prestige heading into this thing. With the way this year is going, it's a weird year. I mean, how much stock should we put into the NFL draft, what it means for the Big 12? You know, does the SEC have 10 first-round picks and the Big 12 has three? Does that stuff matter? Do you generally buy into it? I try to always look at the percentage. I I always go because the Big 12 only has 10 teams, um, and you look at the SEC with the team with, you know, a bunch more teams in it. I think percentage-wise, you have to break it down by teams. I think that's the much fair way to do it because if a team has 14 teams, a league has 14 teams in it and the other one has 10 or whatever, obviously the number is going to be a little skewed when you look at the overall number, just the sheer amount. But I think if you break it down by the number of teams, I think it works out a little bit better for the big 12. And in some years it's worked out great. I think 
I can't remember. I think it was either last year or the year before. They were second uh, behind all of the SEC in number of picks per team. So I think if you look at it from that standpoint, the numbers favor a little bit better. Uh, but overall, I think this year you're looking at either anywhere between four to six potential first-round picks for the Big 12. And if it is six, I think that's fantastic for the conference. Mm-hmm. Derek Duke is our guest. So then, Derek, you know, CeeDee Lamb is at the top of the list for, you know, Big 12 players heading into this thing. Kenneth Murray is up there as well. Uh, there's some talk about Jeff Gladney. So who do you think, though, is going to be, and I know you wrote about this, who do you think is going to be the most underrated Big 12 player to come out of this draft? I wrote about, yeah, when you mentioned it, I wrote about it. I still think it's going to be Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech. Most people have him somewhere in the top 100 range. I think he's probably going to be a third or fourth round guy. Uh, he's about 240 pounds at six one or six foot. Covers a lot of ground. Uh, he can cover, and which is so important now for linebackers in the NFL. They can't just be these big, bulky guys that can just go downhill. They've got to do their thing in coverage, and I think Jordan Brooks does that. He's a great tackler in space. He moves sideline to sideline, so I think he's everything you'd want in that middle linebacker spot. So for a fourth-round pick, I think that is an absolute steal for a guy like Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. What about uh, Denzel Mims? I mean, I think that's a guy who is really going to flourish at the next level. And I, I know all the talk is about CeeDee Lamb. Uh, part of that, I think, if you flip those two guys' roles and Denzel Mims was playing at Oklahoma the past three, four years and CeeDee Lamb was a Baylor, I, I think that Mims will be talked about much higher, uh, much bigger of a prospect than he is. Oh, for sure. The way Lincoln Riley, they, the way they use those receivers, it's out, you know, it's second to none in, in the country. So, obviously, I think that would be a huge factor. The thing with C.D. Lamb, what, what to me, what separates him from the rest is his ability after the catch. He averaged 21 yards per catch this season, which is just outstanding. What he can do with the football in his hands after he gets it is just incredible. You know, you'll see him break two tackles and then take one of the house. I think with Denzel, he's a little bit more of a possession guy. Obviously, there's still a lot of talk right now about Denzel being in the kind of that back of the first round uh, type player. So if he is there, that's great for the conference. If not, I still think he's going to be a high second round pick. But from Denzel, uh, obviously the CD. And then another guy nobody's talking about that I mentioned in my article was Jalen Rager out of TCU. Just the way he, I, I still don't feel like he was used properly this past season. He's had horrible quarterback play. And when you think about it, his best quarterback play came from Kenny Hill about three years ago. So it's, it's been a long, frustrating career for Jalen, but I think he has all the talent in the world. He's under six foot, but what for what he lacks in size, he makes up in explosiveness. I think he could be a second-round pick as well, and I think some team's going to get a great deal for him. Derek Duke is joining us here for a few minutes. Uh, Derek, you wrote about this as well. Jalen Hurts probably being the biggest bust uh, of Big 12 players selected in the draft. Hard to argue there. I just I don't know what he projects at at the next level. I wouldn't be shocked if Jalen Hurts is playing like uh, in the NFL, some type of a fullback, halfback, running back, quarterback, wildcat type of mixture. I mean, that seems to me like a fit for him, if nothing else. Well, there's been two two different parties from everything I've been watching. I've been trying to follow this stuff like crazy. The comparisons to Jalen Hurts are just wildly. On, on just complete opposite sides. On one side, you have people trying to compare him to Deshaun Watson. And for me, I, I do not see that whatsoever. Deshaun was a completely different player. Sure, both love to use their legs. I think Deshaun was a much po- more polished passer at this point in time during his career. Plus, Deshaun came out after his junior year. Jalen Hurts is now at the end of his college career. But I think Deshaun was a much better passer, 
I think he was way more polished and way more advanced in his decision making. Uh, and then on the other side, you have people trying to compare Jalen to like a Taysom Hill type uh, for the Saints. You know, he'll, you'll see him line up under center. You'll see him play fullback. You'll see him carry the ball. You'll see him play tight end. He's like a utility player. You see him do all these different things and play on special teams. You'll see him making uh, tackles on kickoffs, all these different things. I think some may see Jalen more of that comparison. But obviously, you're, you're not going to draft a utility guy like that, you know, probably in the first two rounds. So if Jalen Hurts does fall to the, the third or even the fourth round, I have really no issue with that whatsoever. But there were some those that were comparing him to the Deshaun Watsons and for some to project that, oh, he's going to be a quarterback in the NFL. He's going to do all this. He could be a potential starter. If you draft him in the first round or in the second round, I think that is a huge, huge mistake by any team that would be willing to do that to try to make him that franchise quarterback. He's Derek Duke. You read him all the time on heartlandcollegesports.com. Derek, enjoy the draft this weekend. It's the only sports we might be getting for a while. I hope I'm wrong when I say that, but uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Pete. He's Derek Duke. You read him on heartlandcollegesports.com. I'm Pete Mundo. Coming up next, final thoughts as we wrap up the show. Do not forget the NFL Draft is here, and it is uh, taking place this weekend. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And, you know, there's no Kyler Murray, there's no Baker Mayfield, there's no OU Big 12 quarterback who's going to be the number one overall pick this year. Uh, But I think overall, uh, the Big 12 could find itself in a sneaky good year on the defensive side of the ball. Our guy Derek Duke wrote about this on heartlandcollegesports.com, and I think it should be noted here that, you know, the NFL draft is obviously taking place, and the names that people are keeping an eye on in the conference, uh, CeeDee Lamb, uh, look at guys like Kenneth Murray, you know, Oklahoma wide receiver, Oklahoma linebacker, respectively. Uh, Looking at a guy, hey, TCU cornerback, by the way. I mean, they're talking about Jeff Gladney, as, um, you know, a guy that people are keeping a close eye on. And then you have players like Denzel Mims, wide receiver for Baylor, right? But this could be a year where the Big 12 may not have a ton of first-round picks. Uh, The Big 12 may not find itself in a position where, you know, it's got the number one pick that's obviously not going to happen. We know that. But defense could be sneaky good this year for the Big 12 in terms of where guys end up in the NFL. Look at players like, Linebacker Kenneth Murray, who is shooting up draft boards, who is getting a ton of love out of OU, not just because of, you know, his athleticism. And those of us that watched OU play knew that this guy was a stud, absolute stud. And by the way, just a three-star prospect. Don't forget that. He was not some five-star guy. Uh, But also, you know, a player like his teammate, Neville Gallimore. You know, when's the last time any player out of the Big 12 a defensive lineman, an interior lineman was a top pick out of the conference. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty unusual stuff. What about Ross Blacklock, TCU? And that guy, someone's going to get a steal with Ross Blacklock. So I think that's a guy to keep an eye on. So Jordan Brooks, linebacker from Texas Tech. We talked about him with uh, Derek Duke earlier. I mean, that's somebody who I think could have a really solid NFL career. Suddenly it looks like there are some defensive players that are really going to possibly shine here uh, at the next level. And that is exciting to see. So 
I'm intrigued by that. I know that the SEC is going to pump its chest because they're going to have the most first-round picks, but uh, also it's got to be done on a per capita basis, right? The Big 12's got 10 teams. SEC's got 14. ACC's got 14. It should be done on a per capita basis, meaning how many players per conference based on how many teams you have in your conference. Example, if the SEC has, let's say, 12 first-round picks, and I'm just throwing this number out there, if the SEC has 12 first-round picks and the Big 12 is 10, that's not going to happen. The Big 12 is not going to have 10. But if it were to happen, um, the Big 12 on a per capita basis, based on the fact that it has only 10 teams, would really have more first-round picks on a per-team basis than would the SEC. So that should not be overlooked, and that should not be underappreciated either. So uh, looking forward to the NFL draft this weekend, just a sense of normalcy here in a time when there is uh, zero normalcy, it feels like. Also, college football playoff. This was announced, uh, reported this past week by ESPN. Bill Hancock told ESPN, he is the executive director of the college football playoff, that there are currently no plans to adjust the four-team semifinal format. There's also no plans to change how the four teams are currently selected, which is, of course, by a committee of people inside and outside the sport. And I'm okay with it. You know what makes college football great, and I will say this, all day, every day, is that you can play a game in the middle of October that has college football playoff national championship implications. No other sport can say that in this country. No other sport. The NFL can't say it. The NBA certainly can't say it. The NBA, I mean, is worthless basically until the playoffs, considering you got 16 teams in there and they're playing 82 regular season games. It's a joke. Baseball's too long. Baseball, I mean, with all this coronavirus stuff, it'd be great for baseball to say, you know what, let's go back. I mean, baseball could cut its season down to 120 games. No one will do it because I'll have to take pay cuts by 25%. But, man, baseball, 120 games, make it easy. Shorten the season. Uh, People's attention spans are dwindling. You can't have 162 games at four hours a pop and then wonder why. Gee, I can't imagine why people aren't watching as much baseball. Well, you've got the longest games of any league, and you got the most, meaning each one has less meaning. It's What baseball's doing is crazy. Hockey, same thing as the NBA. I mean, the diehard hockey fan is a little different. So he's always going to be there. She's always going to be there. But hockey, you know, you got 82 games. You got 16 teams in the playoffs. Too much, too much. College football, you're playing a conference game. You're playing OU Texas, middle of a... Uh, October or early October down to the state fair. And you know that there will be call, potentially college football playoff, if not big 12 championship implications being made based on the outcome of that game on that Saturday afternoon. That is what makes college football special. That's what makes it unique. That's what makes it the greatest sport in the country. The tradition and the immediacy of what is at stake. I don't want to lose that. I just don't. I'm sorry. Pete Mundo and Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. And you know what? I just think you start expanding this thing. I mean, there's been no justification for it every year, it seems like. And if you go back and look at how things have played out, and we'll do it here for you. I mean, if you go back, the semifinals have been total debacles anyway. They've been total debacles. So it's just, you look at it and you look at the final scores on some of the semifinal games. I mean, let me just go through them here for you real quick. 
So we've been doing this for one, two, three, four, five. We've done six college football playoff seasons. And of those 12 games, how many have been by single digits? One, two, three. Three games decided by, heck, even 10 points or less. You want to expand the playoff? Come on, man. You want to make these games on home campuses, by the way. I'm fine with that. I'll help the local economies out uh, as much as we could. I'd make the semifinals on home campuses. I think that'd be cool. We don't need eight teams to make the games at, uh, at home stadiums, okay? We don't need that, actually. So that's where I'm at. It's a false choice that college football fans are giving you, all right? It's a false, false choice. Well, you guys have a great rest of your week. Um, Try to stay safe, and don't forget, please take a second out. It would mean the world to me to leave a rating and review on this podcast. We will send you a thank you, a Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail. If you send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And we will get the koozie in the mail for you. Appreciate you guys. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Be well.